Welcome again to Navigating Change, Gloria. It's great to have you back. It's awesome to be back with you, Howard. I'm so pleased we could do this. What we're here to talk about is something that I'm I'm so excited about because you and I have been in conversation about this even before this book was published, Prepared You, How Innovative Colleges Drive Student Success. And I think this is not only such a timely topic for the the nature of education. It's a, it's a timely topic for your university. It's a way of telling a story about what's coming as we're looking into the future. So if I just step back and ask, when was the seed of this book? When did that begin for you? The notion of writing down what I've experienced as Bentley's president over the last decade really did start several years ago. I'm the accidental president. I came from a very long career in law and public policy, um, don't have an academic background, and found myself a little Alice in Wonderland in higher education um, at a standalone business school. Um, that has both an undergraduate and a grad school and two PhD programs. And I, at, along the way, um, have just learned so much about what a fast evolving marketplace requires of today's students, requires of today's universities and colleges, um, requires of employers as partners in this enterprise. And it really came to a head my second year at Bentley and the several years after that, when the entire world melted down as part of a U.S. and then global recession. And I watched kids going to the most elite colleges in the country graduating with great degrees and getting jobs as baristas at Starbucks uh, and living mm. in their parents' basements. And that was startling to me. This was 2008, 2009, right? Yeah, 10, 11, those years. It was startling because uh, we were not experiencing the same thing. My kids at Bentley were graduating with degrees in business and many times double majors in liberal arts, and they were getting jobs, and we wanted to study the marketplace and find out why. So we did. We did a national study, the largest of its kind in the wake of the recession, and we asked parents and students and uh, academics and, of course, employers to grade how universities were doing. And we were not surprised, and no one should be, that in those years, three or four years following the recession, that the grades for universities and colleges as to what they were actually teaching kids and how they were teaching kids to be lifelong learners these days was hitting a different mark than was required by employers. And even now, with a much more robust marketplace for kids to go into and a significantly more robust economy, we're still seeing that employers require more. More. They want both hit the ground running skill sets, and at the same time, they want very strong lifelong learning capabilities. And I came through my experience with this now firmly held belief that it's an and, not an or, and that every college has a way of preparing students. And it's equally important for students to bear that responsibility and accountability. It's up to them as to how they look at a four-year college experience and how they make the best out of it. So that spawned this idea in me that it's how you go to college that ultimately matters more than where you end up. The book, the genesis of the book was this realization as a college president. 
with graduates facing an entirely different new world order when they leave college, that how you go to college, how you experience college, how you take full advantage of everything a college degree has to offer during your time in college is more important than actually where you go to school. Yeah. And what's fascinating for me, Gloria, listening to you is that you know, in in the background, there has been this recognition of an emerging shift that we have to think about, and that's all, it's been in the background around education for the for the longest time. I would imagine since the book came out, we're even becoming more clear around the urgency of this particular subject matter, the idea of an and versus an or. And I'm curious, who's reading this book, I and mean, where? What kind of feedback are you learning? about where this is resonating? You know, it has resonated, I think, especially well early on with um, parents of kids who, because, you know, you can throw your hands up in the air and say, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be looking for. And of course, my thesis is that it has to be a holistic experience. And there's sort of a checklist of things to look for um, to make your four years more meaningful. Uh, And at the same time, the employer world has been very receptive because I'm really singing in the choir with, uh, with employers of all types of organizations, not just the business community, but government employers, uh, certainly nonprofits. What has been particularly surprising and appealing to me is that I'm hearing from schools who are picking up on, and we can talk about some of those great schools, that are picking up on the lessons that we had already adapted to at Bentley multiple years ago and are now saying we can do these things and we have to do these things things to be more relevant. You're talking about this hybrid approach, right? To really combining the business and liberal arts? That's one piece of it. It's really a four-part schematic that I think is really important. Before you even get to dorm life and athletics and all the things that make a place-based education so rich in the United States, I think at its core, the four component parts are the single most important core element is this combination of hard and soft skills, um, that you have liberal arts, that you have some kind of hard skills. Tied to that is hands-on learning, experiential learning, that offers liberal arts colleges the opportunity to not simply um, reimagine some of their courses, but also to say, you know what? Liberal arts is still incredibly important. In fact, it could be the most vital aspect of lifelong learning. And we can get hands-on learning hard skills by having a very robust internship program. And then a third piece is that you get kids and schools to focus on thinking about career options from as early as possible in the four-year experience hopefully freshman year on, as opposed to asking kids to try to find a career office their senior year. Let's let's talk about this career idea. Careers are interesting, and I know you've made a, a ton of investment and exploration with not just the emerging millennials, but also the idea of career. And, and you know, when I talk with students and faculty, the idea of a career in itself is very different than the career that I experienced and anticipating when I was in college. There was this idea that you would have a career. You know, Maybe you would move up the chain in that career within an organization, but it would be less of a path, but more of a stationary thing 
thing that you would have. Now, what I'm hearing more of these days is this idea of what is your first career? It really is radically different. Uh, There's no such thing as thinking this is going to be my uh, industry sector niche and I'm going to get a gold watch 50 years hence. That just doesn't exist anymore. Um, Everything in the marketplace is again, very fluid. It's fast evolving. What we think of when we think of careers is preparing our students to be very adaptable and very nimble. Um, That goes to what they're studying, but it also goes to how they explore their capabilities with, again, experiential learning, whether it's internships or projects in the classroom. What your point is that's fascinating is this focus on, you know, the three things, and we'll get to the fourth in a minute, combo hardened soft skills, liberal arts, the experiential learning, and now focus on career, getting them focused earlier on about the kind of skills they need to have to be adaptable and nimble versus the traditional way when I remember going to school is that unless you knew you wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer, you want to do something very specific, an engineer, you had this moment when you had to choose your major. And for me, it was in my junior year. Your point is get them engaged earlier on this conversation. What's the world going to look like? And who are you going to be when you say you've stepped out of these walls? That is exactly the point. And let me tell you just a little bit about what's informing our thinking. Um, For one thing, as we've done in other instances where we wanted to understand what the market factors are and how they're changing, we commissioned Burning Glass, an aggregator of jobs, to look a year out. So in 2016, they gave us this very rich mother load of data that shows that we're in the era of the hybrid job, that there's no such thing as a an HR job that just requires you to know something about human resources. It it requires social media. It has technology skills, business development attached to it. You don't just have the IT person any longer in your organization. They know business development. They know additional things. And it's this constant changing of what the requirements are, particularly in a tech-rich world, um, that really requires kids early on to think in this interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary way, as well as to combine what they're learning with constantly upgraded technology skills, because that's going to be an important factor. The other factor I would point out is that robotics and artificial intelligence are changing the landscape dramatically. So even when I wrote the book a year or two ago, and now, you know, out last fall, even since then, AI is changing how I think about the marketplace. Some of the very basic factors, say you get an accounting degree. Now, an awful lot of that in the next several years can be done by artificial intelligence. So you want this higher level of thinking applied and the capabilities to apply more creativity, more problem solving, um, and, and more and more analytical uh, capabilities, not simply rote learning. Virtually nothing today and, to, and certainly tomorrow is going to require rote learning. I got the three, hard and soft skills, experiential learning, early career understanding skills. What was the fourth one? The fourth one is really having a robust um, technology capability, both the wired and wireless school, and at the same time, the facile ability of each student who graduates to be able to use technology, whether it's grabbing data and applying it to solve problems, whether it's the latest technology in a particular um, career area and a particular sector of the market. I want to pivot to something as I'm thinking about our listeners, right? So we've got listeners that 
traverse the academic side of the house, administrative side of the house, the trustees, all exploring and living in the swirl of what's continuing to evolve and accelerate. And the book is such a fantastic provocation for people to say, where are you in the story? Are you approaching this from this hybrid way? So I'm asking you both, what are some of the things you're doing that are helping? And what are some of the challenges of moving these ideas literally into your institution? So let me start with the fact that we start at Bentley um, with an advantage. Our advantage is that business university that we are with equal parts liberal arts, we have one single faculty. So my arts and sciences faculty are part of one school. We don't send kids over to take XYZ courses in the School of Liberal Arts and then back to the B school to take undergraduate business courses. They're combined at Bentley. And students take many double, have many double majors and thematically learn to integrate their learning with the liberal arts capabilities intermingled with what they're learning in the business classes. And many times our faculty conspire with one another to come up with new coursework. Um, and at the same time, my faculty is also very open to having industry come in. Every school should invite industry to the table. And it doesn't mean you have to accept the ideas. But for example, we took our math major, which was a very traditional math major at Bentley. Think of it at every other school in the universe. And our kids were wildly popular as graduates. But we heard from Liberty Mutual that they, if we could take our math majors and split them into groups and some of them study actuarial science, that they would hire every single one of them starting at eighty dollars or $90,000 a year. Um, we, we worked to do that. And now for now three or four or five years now, we've very successfully placed every single actuarial science major we could. There's no school out there that couldn't make their math studies more relevant to the outside. Similarly, economics, um, you could make that have a, a, some of the courses have a stronger direct business orientation other than, you know, macroeconomics. So there are any, I, I look at every school, science, um, the classes that you can take uh, in science that relate to environmental studies, to sustainability. We have a sustainability science major at Bentley that could and should be replicated at every liberal arts college in the country. It's certainly a hot um, major and a hot job opportunity for students. And it works brilliantly with every science department that I know at any great liberal arts college. What about things like philosophy? How do you, how do you encourage somebody who wants to be in a field that doesn't have that perception of being an employable Mark, you know, except if you want to go on to graduate school and maybe teach or write, how do you connect those areas like philosophy or other areas in that domain to the real world so that those students have that experience. I'm curious, is, has there been any work done in that area? Oh, I absolutely think of it all the time. Our philosophy department is one of our stronger liberal arts departments. Um, it's head and shoulders uh, um, in terms of its connections directly to where students need to, to think about in a broader sense about the knowledge base they need because philosophy is the basis for learning um, negotiations. Yes. The, the, Word of 
argumentation. Um, I know as a law school graduate that my philosophy courses as an undergraduate were really the true underpinnings, along with English and the ability to, to write well, were the underpinnings of a successful um, law school experience. Yeah. So so it's it's connecting. See, this is the problem I have with schools that throw up their hands and say, well, we can't do the same thing as a business university like Bentley can. They can. It's how they re-envision what they're already teaching. I'll give you another example. English is just incredibly important now. The, the soft skills needed in communications, both written and oral, are, you know, the, the lament of employers everywhere that kids have sort of left that behind with their texting capabilities. And that's just, you know, again, it calls for thinking harder about how you take an English major and translate your finely honed writing and oral presentation skills and combine that with other things, including internships that make you more marketable. And it's both your responsibility as a student and for heaven's sakes, it's the school's responsibility in equal measure, if not more. Today, employers want to know less about your major. In fact, there's some very hot employers out there who never, ever ask about majors. They care more about how you've thematically related your coursework um, to what you'll be doing in the real world and how you've learned to integrate your thinking across disciplines, sometimes that obviously connect to one another, in other cases that don't obviously connect, but you've learned to make the connections and can explain it. Two minutes ago, you said what frustrates you about institutions that have been sort of in resignation or, or come off as resigned, that they can actually produce this kind of shift. What's the story that you're hearing? What's behind this resignation about their capability of making the shift? What are some of the factors you're seeing that schools should be looking at so they can start investigating this maybe in a more serious way? Well, I'll tell you one thing that would help every school. It's if you directly link your um, academic capabilities, your faculty to career services. Um, at Bentley, our head of career services sits on our curriculum committee. So every time there's a new major discussed, um, regardless of the type, she can weigh in on how it's going to fit with marketplace needs. And it's a conversation across you know, these, these disciplines that, that otherwise would never have spoken to one another. Um, in many schools, academic affairs, the faculty are pulling career services into the academic side of the house. We haven't done that here, but I think it's a really good model for many schools that might sh shy away from it thinking it sounded too voc-ed. Um, but if you pull it in and make it part and parcel of how you think about the future of work, um, I think it takes on greater appeal. Say a little bit about if you were to give somebody some guidance to say a college president, a provost, anyone who in a position where they can't start to turn the ne needle, where they are intrigued by creating more of this hybrid, shared, hard, soft skills that you talked about, focusing on the and versus the or. Let's say you want to make the shift. What do you do to produce the momentum? Well, let me give you a good example. Um, Olin College of Engineering is a jewel in the Massachusetts higher ed orbit. Um, very strong engineering school. It's a very small school, very, very select, 100% placement of their graduates. They didn't have liberal arts. 
and they didn't have business capabilities. So they partnered with Wellesley and they partnered with Babson. And they put together not just so that you go to Wellesley or you go to um, Babson for coursework. No, they set up teams of teachers to work together in one classroom so that you take um, a class and you teach the feasibility of a project, of, of an idea, engineering, the viability, that's the business learning, and the desirability, the liberal arts. Is it something that's actually going to make a difference, not just you know the marketplace, but for mankind? I mean, so it's that kind of thinking. Think partnerships, definitely bring the outside world in, the employers work very hard um, in their many, many tools available to help you do this, to develop internship programs. Um, I look at some schools that are not in the greater Boston area that have phenomenal internship programs. One is Davidson in North Carolina. Davidson's not located in a major metropolitan area. So again, Bentley has an advantage. What did Davidson do? They copied and they openly copied our career services model, but their internship program, the backbone is their amazing array of graduates. So it's their alumni and their parents, and they have an equally successful program there. Similarly, um, I spent a weekend, two weekends ago at my own alma mater, Vassar College, and I'd been asked to give a keynote address about careers. And I was a little reluctant thinking, you know, here's Vassar, uh, the Penn Ultimate Liberal Arts School. And boy, was I surprised at the how much religion the marketplace thankfully has gotten. And I just fell in love with what Vassar's doing. They have something called Sophomore Career Connections. They had over 100 alumni across the decades and parents who had flown in from everywhere to spend an entire weekend, as I was doing as the opening speaker, with the entire sophomore class. So they're starting early. The kids are going to have plans. Each will have plans. And they now have contacts that relationships that they that will last them a lifetime and certainly help them get into the marketplace in the first place. And they're drawing on their strengths. I talked to this one amazing young woman who told me that she doesn't want to go to Wall Street or to State Street or to EMC where my kids would be headed. She wants to be a film director in Hollywood. And when I listened to her talk about the courses she was putting together, the internships she has planned, I uh, it was all fitting together of a piece. And I think she'll be just as successful as our kids are because she's focused on putting these pieces together as we started out talking about. And she certainly will have the technology skills. I have to tell you, I think when we look back five years from now, we're going to see how this conversation has blossomed in a way that takes these ideas to a whole new level. So thank you so much for what you've done. And I'm very excited for you because you've got a new chapter upcoming next September. You know, I do. And I think where the tipping point is very near, my visit to Vassar demonstrated that firsthand to me. You know how we tell kids, we very much want you to um, to learn and grow to be the very best version of yourself. I feel the same way about schools, about colleges and universities. I don't want them to look, it's not a cookie cutter version of Bentley, for heaven's sakes. They should find their own strengths, but translate them into their own best version that matches with the current and future face of work. And what I'm excited about for you is that you're going to be able to take your message once you make that transition after how many years now at Bentley? What, what is it? 11. 11, 11. years. I, you know, that's a really long time for a college president. You're not going anywhere. You're going to be taking the story out in the world. So thank you so much. For I would like to do that. Thank you, Howard. Howard.